Greetings and welcome back to Shnayim Mikra, our daily podcast sponsored by the OU, in which we examine some of the nuances of each of the aliyot of this week's parasha, Parashat Lech Lecha. We are now looking at the sixth aliyah, which is by far the largest aliyah in Parashat Lech Lecha. It contains the majority of the Brit Ben Avatarim, which is chapter 15, Parak Tetvav. And in the previous podcast, I already discussed some of the issues of Brit Ben Avatarim and how it may have been understood by, um, by Yaakov and his children. And then we have the interlude of Parak Tetzayin, and that's where we'll put our focus today. And as I promised in the previous podcast, instead of going through the, all of the Psukim, I'll just summarize what happens. And then the entire Perak Tetzayin, which is not that large, it's all of 16 Psukim, and is the story of Hagar and the birth of Ishmael. And then it takes us to the beginning of Perak Yodzayin, which is the introduction of Brit Milah. But now, just for a quick summary. In Perak Tetvav, after Avraham trusted Hashem, Hashem introduces himself with a very famous formula. And a formula, as the Ramban suggested, we looked at in our first podcast, that Avraham blazes the trail for his children. Here, Hashem, in his, uh, in his words to Avraham in this most intense until this point, visions, introduces himself as Hashem, who took you out of Ur-Kastim, and for the purpose of giving you this land. And there are two significant components that are new here. One is that Hashem took Avram, didn't send him, didn't call him, but took him out, which introduces the very famous Midrashim of Avram being thrown into the furnace, etc. You can take a look at the last chapter in Volume 1 of Between the Lines and see a more full uh, uh, exposition on this. Uh, but it also introduces that 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 um, salvation was for the purpose of giving you this land. And remember, just now Avram said, but I have no children, etc. And so then he responds, And Ramayda has been understood by the Rishonim in various different ways as something perhaps a little bit nervy, perhaps asking what's the vehicle through which I'm going to have the Yerusha, not how can I know that it's true. And then we hear the details of a Brit in Pasuk Tet, Yod, Yod Aleph, Yod Bet, is the setup of a Brit. And the notion of a Brit, as you read more explicitly in Yumiahu Lamedalad, that takes place in, uh, in the Near East, uh, at this time, is that an animal is taken, is cut in half, and the signatories to the covenant sit or stand in the middle and agree to their covenant, and the implication of that is that anyone who violates these words will end up like that animal cut in half. That's the general implication. So here, uh, however, Hashem commands Avram to take three different animals and two birds, and not at all coincidentally, these are the only animals and fowl that ever will go on to the Mizbeach. Um, and it's a precursor to the Korbanot. See Rashi's comments here. And then, as it gets dark, there's a deepening and intensification of the Nevoah and the very famous Brit, and this we'll look at word for word in Yod Gimel Yodal Tevav Tetzayin, the promised Avram, Vayomal Avram, Yadoa Tidak Yeri Ezar Achaver Aslobahem. You should know that your children are going to be strangers in a foreign land. Vavadum Vinu Otam Arbam Shana, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, Arbam Shana in Tanakh, 40 and 400 are typological numbers for a long time, just as 7 is typological number for a sequence, etc. 
So uh, we have that with Arami al-Shanah, and as is evidenced by the fact that in no calculation are we indeed enslaved in a foreign land for 400 years, and this is where the problem of the 430 years mentioned in Parshat Bo comes in, and the problem of the 210 years, uh, and so that's why the various calculations of 400 years from this point on, 400 years from the birth of Yitzhak, etc. The nation that oppresses you, I will judge. And this leads us to a tremendously uh, detailed discussion and uh, in-depth discussion that the Rambam participates in, the Ramban participates in, and others, of how God can, with injustice, uh, judge and punish those who oppressed us if the oppression is part of the plan. And the interested reader uh, certainly has what to read here. Uh, a good starting point here is the Ramban, and then and the references that leads to some of the other literature. And then the children will leave with great wealth. In the meantime, you'll die in peace, and the implication is you're not going to see any of the troubles. You'll die at a good old age. It'll be the fourth generation of returns. And that is a very powerful statement. So to say that I cannot give them land until the locals have sinned to the point where they can no longer be here. And that will happen. And then the uh, the fire that goes between, and then the summary that at that point Hashem made a breach and gave Avraham the land. Parak Zion again, as I mentioned, is where our main, main attention will be, and that is the story of Sarai, Hagar, and Avraham. And that is followed by Avraham is now 99, so we've skipped 13 years. Ishmael is now 13, Avraham is 99, and Avraham still has not had a child with Sarah. But as far as everything till now has been promised, things are in place. Avraham has a son who will inherit, that's Ishmael. And now God promises, tells him to be Tamim and to do the Brit. And then he says, I am going to change your name to Avraham because you are, Avraham, you are no longer going to be just who you are, but rather Avhamon Goyim will be the father of many nations. And I'm going to multiply you, make you fruitful, and you will indeed have kings come out from you, implying that there are yet more children to come from Avram. But as I said, the main focus I'd like to look at is the 16 psukim of the story of Sarai, Avram, and Hagar. It is introduced in Pasuk Aleph that Sarai did not yet have a child, and she had a Shifcha Mitzrit. And the simple reading of that is that the Shifcha Mitzrit, this Egyptian maid, came from the spoils of Egypt that were given to Avram as part of the uh, Paro's attempt to court Sarah. Her name was Hagar. She recognized that it's God who's kept her from having children. And this is read two different ways. Have relations with my shifcha and I'll be built through her. One is the simple way. I, she will have a child and that will be my child. Much as we find later with Rachel and Fleah. Um, or possibly it means that by having relations, perhaps that will generate some spiritual, emotional reaction for me that will that will open up my womb. Avram is obeisant. He does what Sarai asks. Now notice the language. This emphasis is that she is a shivcha. They have been in Eretz Canaan 10 years, and evidently Sarai understood. We're already here 10 years. The famous Gemara Nifamot of of what happens after 10 years of childlessness. And so she gave him as a wife, her as a wife, which means she's a shivcha, and now her status is changing, not just whose bed she's sleeping in or where she is, but her status is changing from shivcha to isha. And Hagar became pregnant, which, of course, to Sarai is a mixed blessing because it, 
demonstrates that whereas until now we don't know who's the cause of the infertility, now it seems to be clear. And she saw that she was pregnant, and her mistress became light in her eyes. In other words, she started lording herself over her mistress, over Sarai. Sarai came to Avram with anger. Her anger is at Avram because Avram is now in charge. Her emphasis is, I gave her to you, I gave my shivcha to you. And she saw she was pregnant, and suddenly I'm light in her eyes, and she's degrading me. God will judge between us. What she's really demanding Avram do is to take some action. And of course, Avram, as we saw earlier, does what Sarai asked him. Avram, Sarai, I'm going to give her back to you. You do uh, what you feel is fit. And this is the crux. Sarai oppressed her. Here's a young pregnant girl. Sarai oppressed her and she ran away. Now the question is, was Sarai's behavior acceptable or not? And here the Ramban and the Radak weigh in very heavily of saying Sarai was wrong, Avram was wrong for letting her behave that way, and the Ramban even goes further to make a statement that as a reward of that, for that, or a comeuppance of that, God gave Hagar a child whose descendants would later oppress Am Yisrael. And then of course Yish Ishmael. We'll address that at the end of this piece. So what happens in the next, that's the, in the next few psukim, she encounters a malach, she's run away, and she encounters a malach. And now we have to look at these psukim very clearly. Is the Malach telling her that she's right, that she really has been oppressed, and uh, nonetheless she must go back? Actually not. Look carefully. The first thing he says, Hagar Shifchat Sarai. Look what he calls her, Shifchat Sarai. Where are you coming from and where are you going? And what is her answer? She admits that Sarai is her mistress, is her, is her boss. So what does the Malach Hashem say? Go back and accept her oppression, which means not necessarily that Sarah was oppressing her. Sarah is making her do work. She's a shifcha. She should be doing work. Go back and work for her. There's nothing untoward about this. And then the Malach gives her a blessing. You'll have lots of kids. And then this is a pasuk. You'd often you better pasukim that uh, are not well understood and I'll, I'll suggest why. You're going to, you're pregnant, you're going to have a child. There are that says that she lost this child. He says you'll be pregnant again. God has heard your pleading. Which means that God is somehow responding. The Malach here is responding to her crying or to being lost and to oppression. And what's the blessing? Now this is commonly translated as a wild man. It's all pejorative. His hand is in everyone. Everyone's hand is in him. He's a thief. He's uh, he's always wanted. He's going to live in front of all of his brothers. The question is, what does this really mean? And so Elchanan Samet, in uh, one of his landmark articles that was later published in his own book of, of commentaries and is available online, suggests that if you look at Para Adam in the context of Tanakh, it really doesn't mean a wild man as much as an unfettered and unshackled one. Which means the promise to, to Hagar is that you accept the servitude and the blessing is you will have a child who will never be a servant and never be a slave. He will be able to roam wherever he goes. And that that's the blessing to her. And he gets that from Paralimud Midbar in Yirmiyahu. Now this, the, I said earlier that I'd suggest why it's read differently. And I believe the reason is that because we generally read this parsha and make an identification of Yishmael with the Arab world. And as a result of that, everything that we read about it, we, um, we associate and it colors the way that we read the text. 
And in general, Yishmael is seen in more recent literature as a very negative character. But if you look carefully in Chazal, and even later in Tanakh, you find that Yishmael is really a sympathetic character. Yishmael has been Avraham, and Yishmael is not somebody who we have any antipathy towards. We even find Jews later, both in Tanakh and later in Tanaitic uh, times, and even the Gonic times, who are named Yishmael, even in the, in the Middle Ages. You won't find one today, I don't think, but that's the case. <clears throat> And so I'd like to issue a challenge to the listeners. Uh, I have contended for a long time that the identification of Yishmael with the Arab world is not something that really has its roots in our literature. And, uh, and if anybody can find an identification of Yishmael or B'nai Yishmael with the Arab world of any time before the 7th century, meaning before the rise of Islam, uh, I'd be very interested to see it. Uh, but in the meantime, it certainly seems that that identification is one that really is the product of, um, of, of the Islamic imagination, of trying to gain legitimacy by saying, we really are the children of Ishmael, the children of Ibrahim, etc., and, and to concretize their particular claims. As a result of that, though, we look back and say, we really have to read Ishmael differently. And Ishmael is a sympathetic character here. And there's lots more later on in the story of Avraham and Yitzchak and Ishmael it seems to support that, including the position of Chazal, that Yishmael Asat Shuvah, uh, the end of the first paragraph of Mikilah and of Batra, that Yishmael indeed eventually returned to the fold and recognized Yitzchak's primacy at the burial of Avraham, where he let Yitzchak go first. In any case, the successful conclusion here is that, Hashem, that, that Hagar names this place, and by the way, she names the well, uh, which becomes so significant that that's the place Yitzchak goes to Daven. Take a look at the end of Perak Haftal, and we'll take a, uh, we'll look at that in Chaye Sarah. In any case, Hagar gives birth to the child. Avram calls him uh, Ishmael, and Avram's uh, 86 years old at the time. We're not given Hagar's age because it's irrelevant to the story, and we move on from there. Ishmael, of course, will show up in the next Aliyah at the very end as a member of the Brit at the age of 13. Okay, we'll pause at this point, and in the next podcast, complete our study of Parshat Lechacha. Everyone should have a wonderful day.